Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Amen. Well, I asked you at the beginning before we read that, who is blind? In this story, who is blind? There's a lot of characters. There's Jesus, there's the blind man. There are his neighbors, his community. There are his parents, the Pharisees. All of these different characters in this story. And I think one of the central questions that we are intended to sit with, that John wants us to sit with, is who is blind? And here's the answer, everyone but Jesus. Every single person in this story other than Jesus is blind. And there's two different levels of blindness out play in the story. You have physical blindness. You have the man that is born blind that Jesus comes upon. And in this encounter with Jesus, Jesus is going to restore his physical sight. But if you just stop at the end of the first part of this chapter, you're sort of left with the thought that this is just about the fact that Jesus heals physical blindness. But as you keep reading the theme of seeing, of, of disorientation, of not seeing properly, of not understanding properly, is this thread that is weaved throughout all of Jesus's conversations and throughout all the actions of these people that are around this miracle, this, this evidence of God in their midst. And so the question is, who is blind? And the answer is everybody but Jesus. And so let's pray. No. I want to take a few moments just to sit with their blindness. As I mentioned at the beginning of us sitting with these stories at the beginning of John's gospel that are uh, the signs in John's gospel, I mentioned that signs in the, in the Bible, like signs on the road, um, orient us to something. And signs in scripture orient us to something true about God, but also something true about ourselves. And so I want to sit with these groups and their blindness as a way of sitting with how this sign points to something that is true about us. The first set of blind people you come across are the disciples, these friends of Jesus, who um, they come across this, this blind man with Jesus, and they are unable to see what God is up to, that God is in their midst. Why? Because they're stuck asking the wrong questions, both about God and the wrong questions about the situation. They go, Jesus, who is it that, whose sin caused this man to be born blind? Was it him or was his parents? The disciples are assuming that they understand the situation. Who sinned? And what is Jesus' response to them? Jesus' response to them is essentially, that's not actually the question you should be asking. There was a pride, there was an arrogance about them that they thought they understood the complexity of the situation. We don't know if they'd ever come across this man before. We don't know if they, any of them had been a part of this community, but there was a certain assumption that they made. There was a lack of curiosity. There was a lack of grace and mercy. In one question, they move from servant to judge, the exact opposite of who Jesus is. They move from how do we serve? And, and they've been around with Jesus long enough now to know that, that Jesus has a way of moving toward people in pain. And so instead of walking in his way, they take on the position of judge. 
And so that's the first blind group of the disciples, but there's also then the community, the neighbors. They're unable to see because their paradigms were so fixed and they had no imagination for God working outside of them. This whole entire conversation, is this the man who was born blind? And he goes, yes, it is me. And they go, no, I don't think so. And he's like, no, yes, it is me. No, I don't think so. There was nothing, there was no room in their imagination to be captured and formed for God working outside their previously understood paradigms for how God was in action in the world. What did they even say? No one in the entire time that we've been alive has anyone ever been restored. But then there's also the religious leaders who John spends most of his chapter talking about. These religious leaders are blinded. The the spiritual blindness they have, they're unable to see because they were intent on maintaining control. Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And for them, they needed to keep their religious system intact. Some of their blindness spills over into some of the neighbors of, of the way God working in this moment, they weren't ready for. They didn't have theological frameworks for. God was doing something outside of their expectations. And rather than going, could this be God? They just make the judgment and the determination, no. Especially because it infringed on what gave them identity. On what gave them a sense of worth, a sense of power, and a sense of control. There was no room to move outside what they believed or practiced. And if those things weren't bad enough, there's also the the fourth group, which is the men's, uh, the blind man's parents. And you just put yourself in the position of having a child who was blind, of having cared for him your entire life, of having watched him struggle as a young man and then as an adult, of being forced to beg because you couldn't work. Your own poverty limiting you and how you can care for your son. And then in a moment, his sight is restored. And it wasn't just about him being able to see their faces, right? We've all seen those YouTube videos by now of a child who is deaf being given a hearing implant and for the first time hearing their parent. And so this moment and the emotion of this moment of their son being restored, not just his sight, but what is being restored is the fact that now he can work, make money and sustain himself. He's no longer a beggar. And so surely of any group, it's almost like, okay, we get the neighbors, we get the religious leaders, but surely his parents will believe. And what do we see happen? They witnessed a miracle. And John tells us they were afraid of being kicked out of the synagogue if they claimed that the sight had been restored by Jesus the Messiah. And so their own blindness of people who are intimately close to the person who had been restored causes them to remain blind. And you can read this story, and if you're anything like me, you find yourself wanting to say with the people later on, surely we're not blind though, right? Like surely if Jesus were to show up and restore in a really obvious way, surely I would not be counted amongst the neighbors the religious leaders, and the parents. But I think what Jesus, in uh, the gentle way that only he can, what he would say to us even this morning is, if you are blind and able to admit it, that's the starting place. And I think this, I think there is an invitation to acknowledge before God that you and I carry with us our own spiritual blindness. 
most of the time, right, as blindness functions, as blind spots function, we're not even aware of our own blindness. We're not even aware of how we miss God. We miss God's presence. We miss God's action. We miss the invitations God invites us into, what God is up to in the deepest parts of us. And so I think one of the prayers as we come toward the end of this epiphany season, especially as we enter into a season of Lent, because if there was any season in the sacred calendar of the church that is about getting curious about our own spiritual blindness, it is the season of Lent. There is this falling off of the scales that we're invited to create space for. And let's be clear, only God can actually remove the scales. But we make space for it. That's part of what Lent is. Even in sort of the three main practices of Lent, of prayer, of fasting, of almsgiving. Prayer, this conversation with God. It's a season where we go, come Holy Spirit, help us see. Give us the courage to see. Even fasting is when we begin to push on and tweak with our appetites, those things that we use to numb and to distract ourselves away from those places in our own lives that need Jesus to step into either to restore sight or in loving correction go, hey, this is a blind spot. Even in almsgiving, it's a practice by which we intentionally turn our attention to those who, even at our best, we have a tendency to overlook. And so this sign of Jesus points to our own spiritual blindness. But if we were just to end here, we're just left with a God who looks at us and goes, well, you're spiritually blind, figure out how to see. But that isn't where Jesus leaves this. This isn't what the Holy Spirit desires. And so I want to end with If a sign points to what is true about us, I think there are three important things that this sign points to that are true about Christ. And the first is that Jesus sees hurting people. John opens, as he walked along, he saw a blind man from birth. This is a refrain that comes up often in the gospel stories that Jesus sees, that Jesus saw. And it's much more than just like a, hey, good to see you. I saw you in passing. Oh, I saw you there. There's a, there's a weightiness. There's, a, there's something so much more to Jesus when he sees. He has a sight that perceives, a sight that cuts straight to the heart. I think it's a reminder for you and for me this morning that hurting people have the attention of God. If you are hurting, you have the attention of God. God's attention, his face is turned towards you. And I think what is so difficult about this is it's one thing to say that God sees hurting people, but for so many, the expression of Jesus, the body of Christ, which is the church, for so many people, the experience has been not that God's attention has been, torn, turn, has been turned toward the hurting, but that the hurting have not always had God's attention. That those who are on the margins, those in their moment of pain and suffering, have not had the attention of Christ's people, of people claiming to walk after him, to be his apprentices, to be his disciples. And yet, there are those among us as well who have stories where their experience within the church has been one of God's vision, has been one that God has seen them and drawn near to them. I think about Paul often who experienced both. 
Paul in some of his letters to the churches, it just sounds like he's ready to write them off. And then there's others where it's just this gushing love letter for the people of God. And so Paul, who himself had experience of not being, of feeling like he wasn't seen, of having other experiences where he felt like he was seen, writes this to the church in Rome. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor hype, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Nothing will separate us from the attention of God. The attention of God is always on his people. But the second thing I think that this sign points to that is true about God, not only does Jesus see hurting people, but Jesus is willing to correct his friends. The disciples ask the wrong question, and more than that, their question is dehumanizing. Their question dehumanizes the blind man. They take a seat of judge rather than servant. And what is Jesus' response? Jesus, in his mercy, he sees them. And in the same way that he sees the blind man and is unwilling to leave the blind man without sight, he is unwilling not to correct his friends. And he corrects them and he says, we must work the works of him who sent me. I'm reminded in this moment of Jesus' conversation with his friends of how easy and how willing we are to disqualify ourselves from this cooperating friendship with God that we are invited into. But I think the good news in this interaction is that God is not willing to disqualify us. That God is willing to correct us, to put us back on the path, to reveal to us beauty, goodness, and truth. Which means that if you are his friend, he will not reject you, but he will correct you. Why? Because he's for you. Because he loves you. And furthermore, this is part of following Jesus. It's part of apprenticing ourselves to him. It involves the humility of opening our lives to Christ, to his redirection, his correction, and his teaching. For he himself said, I came into the world that those who do not see may see. Jesus sees those who are hurting. He corrects his friends. But then finally, Jesus is unhurried. Jesus is unhurried. He just doesn't seem in a hurry. Which if you're the blind man, that feels like bad news. But if you're the disciples who keep getting the, the answers wrong on the test, it's good news. Jesus is unhurried. We see this in Jesus' form of healing. It's not instantaneous. He didn't go, see, and he opened his eyes. He spit. He made mud. He put it on the blind man's eyes. He actually makes the blind man walk. I thought about that this morning, that the blind man is just walking to the pool. He's got mud on his eyes. It takes time. I'm sure there were plenty of questions for this man along the way. He probably felt crazy at times. Like, if this doesn't work, I'm going to have to go beg somewhere else. And yet he walked. Jesus is not hurried in how he heals. We even see Jesus' unhurriedness in allowing these events to unfold. He allows conversations to happen. It even, uh, John seems to imply that a few days have gone by. So there are investigations. There are conversations with Pharisees. And I'm sure Jesus, who's still in proximity, is hearing all of these things. He allows fears to play out. 
He allows the blind man to experience the doubt of friends, rejection by the leaders, fear of his own family. All of these things Jesus gives space for. Jesus is unhurried. And here I think we're meant to remember that God tells really long stories. Isn't in a hurry in the way that we are in a hurry, in a hurry to wrap things up, to tie a pretty bow on our healing, on our sight. But God who is patient and loving, the God who restores waits and heals and sees. And thanks be to God that he is a God like that. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.